the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned. Because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable featuring, um, joining us uh, for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Uh, good morning, Tom and all. Hi, Henry. And uh, last but not least, uh, and always a treat when he joins us, uh, Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley. Good morning, Wood. Good morning, Tom and Ben. Good, good to be good here. Morning. Good morning, Wood. Good morning. How are you? Well, we we always start out with a few with a, a handful of quotes before we dig into local, state, and national uh, uh, headlines in politics and current events. And uh, the first one is always a finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this: The most important political office is what? How would you finish this quote? Mm, uh, the vote. We both got it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, this one is fairly familiar. The most important political office is that of the private citizen. Uh, 
and that mm. and that came from uh, Louis Brandeis. Mm. Uh, let's see. And he, here's a quote that that caught my uh, my attention this past week. I'm happy they know that it's benefited their constituents. That's okay with me. But if you're going to try and take credit for what you've done, don't get in the way of what we still need to do. Joe Biden. It was, in fact, yeah. President Joe Biden on Thursday criticized Republican lawmakers who have touted parts of the COVID-19 economic relief law that benefited their constituents despite having voted against the law, saying some people have no shame. No Republican in Congress voted for the American Rescue Plan when it passed earlier this year, but Biden noted several are now touting portions of the $1.9 trillion package that have gone toward their home districts. Is it okay to claim credit for initiatives you didn't support? <laughs> probably won't be the first time it's been done. Yeah. Or yeah. the last. <laughs> right, right. Uh, they call that hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's, there should have been an addendum to Harry Truman's desk plaque that said the buck stops here that says, and also the credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what, does anybody remember the, the exact quote? I'm afraid I'll butcher it. Um, Jack Kennedy's uh, quote, former President JFK, um, when he said, uh, um, "Victory has uh, a thousand fathers." Uh, oh, uh, victory! Victory is uh, has a victory has a thousand, thousand fathers. fathers failure is always an orphan. Yeah. 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 Well, I I I think this is this is just another example of that. So we'll we'll move on. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, here's here's one. Um, it's just unbelievable to me that they could do nothing about this. Mm. Now that could be almost anything anywhere. Yeah, I can and, think of all kind of possibilities. And, and I don't and I don't think you would guess who it was, but it was uh, Brian Sicknick's girlfriend, Sandra Garza. The mother of fallen U.S. Capitol oh. Police Officer Brian Sicknick yeah. says she was disappointed oh, yeah. that Senate Republicans blocked a bill Friday to create a bipartisan commission to investigate the January 6th insurrection after what she described as tense meetings with many GOP senators on Thursday. In an exclusive interview with CNN's Jake Tapper Friday, Gladys Sicknick and her son's girlfriend, Sandra Garza, said they were clinging to hope that they could change the minds of senators opposed to the independent commission, but were still not surprised at the ultimate outcome. Were you surprised that GOP legislators blocked the creation of uh, this uh, so-called bipartisan commission to investigate the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol? Well, not from what I'd heard at the time. No, I, I can't say I was surprised with the way the numbers looked when the process began. Well, I, I, I thought that they had a fear that it would purposely be designed against uh, the Republicans. That was the word. But I was surprised that they did not. I think it would have been better if they had. But, but then yeah, they have a reason. 
Yeah. They're going to get a much more partisan committee now, more than likely, out of out of the House than they would have had with a combination committee. So that's a it's a, it's an odd move. Well, I think, yeah, I think that if, if you, um, I think the Republicans believed that it was a no-win situation. They clearly they knew that uh, you know what was uh, beneath all of this, and uh, they understood that the outcome was not going to be to their political favor. So yeah, why, would know, want, why, why would you want to be in a? Why would you want to be an accomplice? I think from their side is. Why would you want to be an accomplice? We'd rather take our our chances on blocking it, at least blocking the bipartisan commission, and then you know go to the uh, people, our constituents, with our with our story. Well, I'm not sure that was the reason, but but I think, as I said before, it would have been better if they had come out and done that. But they have their own reason for believing that they have more information than I do. Well, yeah, I, I think they were afraid of, of afraid of a hangover until next year's election. Yeah, and yeah. right. <laughs> the outcome. <laughs> well, right. and and right. there is a concern, and I, even though I think there are probably a lot of Republicans now who don't support the actions that took place, but still share their colleagues' concern that the outcome of an investigation into that would look bad for the GOP. We, we, we yeah. agree that. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, I think they're, they're going to get a committee out of the House, as far as I know, which may be uh, a more partisan committee than they would have had if they'd taken the first option. So, Well, it's a lot easier to get a House committee than it is to get a Senate committee. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Well, that's... Uh, is going to be interesting. Um, usually, the the quotes are, are a little bit more controversial than these. These just happen to be a couple that uh, caught my attention. But um, but we can move on to uh, to some local things. In a city widely known for its water problems, First Ward Councilman Eric Mays wants to shift the narrative by spending a portion of the city's ninety four point seven. Uh, million dollars in COVID-19 relief funds to build a water purification and bottling plant, potentially sending Flint water around the world. Mays, who has mentioned the potential for the project several times during talks about the city's budget for the fiscal year that starts July 1st, said he plans to propose setting aside 10 to 14 million in relief funds for the project many of the details of which have yet to be ironed out. Um, is the idea of Flint brand water hard to swallow? That's hard to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they couldn't even manage their own water here. And this is it's quite an investment uh, uh, opportunity for people <clears throat> to create the infrastructure to bottle water and distributed around the world. That would be something well, you know, that even Congress what, what, couldn't do. Wasn't Eric talking about this kind of a thing some years ago, even before the water crisis? I, I, that I, that this was is not the first time he's made. Right. Go ahead, oh, you're Mike. absolutely right. This goes back. Eric actually raised this um, issue or idea 
in the, I think I, I probably was, I may have been on the city council when he initially raised it. So that would have been in the 80s. Yeah, he, he raised this issue of uh, uh, a, a, water, a bottle water initiative many, many years ago, long before the water crisis. I remember having a forum at the, at the White Horse uh, with a virtual cattle call of candidates for mayor. And uh, during that forum, I, I remember Eric actually holding up a bottle of water and saying, Flint, that, that that and his idea was that it was a way of taking advantage of a natural resource, the Flint River, and creating jobs. That if mm-hmm. the water could be purified yeah, and manufactured, yeah. and now he's bringing this up again, and I, I I found it really interesting when I when I saw the piece on M Live, um, that that he's bringing up again and adding. A very interesting twist, and that is the PR benefits of going from, you know, Flint having these horrible water problems <laughs> to being a sought-after source for bottled drinking water. Yeah, yeah. And the PR well, benefits I, I, are kind of interesting, actually. I, I think it's it's really a, a great opportunity, and um, I believe. I don't believe that the people would support it because they don't have much of a great feeling towards Flint Water or the Flint River because that's been... But it's, it's an interesting marketing thing. idea. I can, I can imagine the slogan, Flint Water, 27 Herbs and Spices. But, you know, it's one of those creative ideas that they come out of Flint that could bode well for Flint if they could turn it around. And well, that's, that's that. Henry, that's what I find interesting about Eric's. Yeah. This is an <clears throat> age-old idea for Eric about creating jobs and, uh, you know, using our natural resources as a way to do it. If we can't get business to come here, we make our own. Um, and it's not the worst idea in the world. And, and um, But... You know, I, I'm I'm with Paul a little bit. You know, with the, uh, you know, it's it's easy to become a little bit sarcastic uh, about, you know, the idea of Flint water on the market. And I I've got the slogan, Flint water, it's getting better. Yeah, Actually, I'm I'm joking when I say that. I I I, I just had to say about this that, you know, I I don't. On its face, it seems a little silly, but if you dig down on it a little bit, I'm not sure it's as bad an idea as... It's kind uh, of a quirky enough idea that, like I say, it's a counter-marketing counter idea. It, it, it could, it, it's interesting. And as I saw the MLive article, there's a lot of barriers before they can get the money. And oh, sure. Does it have to go through the council, and the mayor could veto it as well. So there's, there's a lot of barriers, apparently, but it's an interesting idea. Well, we got a break right there, but we'll come back with more armchair politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Woodrow Stanley after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Woodrow Stanley. And uh, we're, we're looking at uh, some local issues. Attorneys for some Flint residents are questioning off-the-record meetings between a judge overseeing a historic $641 million settlement of claims related to the city's water crisis and select attorneys representing residents. They are also raising questions about a missing entry on the federal court docket that included concerns about the accessibility of bone lead scans for victims. In a U.S. District Court hearing uh, Wednesday, May 26th, Attorney Mark Cuker said he has concerns about having been excluded from a closed-door May 3rd meeting between Judge Judith Levy and Michael Pitt, one of four lead attorneys in the Flint Water litigation. Two days after the meeting, Pitt wrote to the judge indicating his unequivocal support for the settlement despite concerns about the accessibility of bone lead scanning for Flint residents. The later the letter obtained by M Live the Flint Journal was initially included as an exhibit in a Tuesday May 25th court filing related to bone scan testing, but it was removed from the court docket later the same day. On Wednesday, the court filing was entered on the docket again with a replacement letter from Pitt dated May 13th that did not include the same language about his accessibility concerns. This May 5th letter has disappeared like it never existed, Cuker said Thursday. It shows there's a big problem with access to bone scans that they don't want to acknowledge. Who are they, and are they hiding things? Uh, interesting. Who are they? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, they, it must they, be the other side. They, they always seem to be up to something. I'm just never really sure who we mean when we say they. Yeah, in this case, I'm not sure either. <laughs> it's like that old expression that, that uh, I saw on uh, a license plate, and the expression was, they say. And, and, and Paul, <laughs> that, that, that's similar. It, you know, that, that they, I don't know who they is. Whoever you yeah. want it to be. Yeah, but uh, that's a way of not committing yourself to criticism <clears throat> when you say they. Well, uh, but do you, we know but that they it, exist. <laughs> but doesn't it sort of doesn't it sort of imply that there's there's some rig going on with the state of Michigan and this particular judge? Very nebulous. It sure uh, doesn't look good. That's right. Yeah. And and, and why uh, not let? And it there's out? enough controversy around the, around the, the settlement anyhow. I mean, there's enough folks who are protesting the settlement to begin with. This this doesn't help the image of it. Well, no matter no matter what the settlement is, there's no way you're going to make everybody happy. They're always going to wish there was more. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but the idea of hiding. Uh, uh, an attorney's problem with a testing procedure and and not allowing it to be part of the original filing i mean actually removing it this is this is a pet peeve that henry has had in various phases of the uh 
coverage of of the uh, water crisis in Flint was the idea that some documents were changed. That exactly that that's yeah. especially insidious, <clears throat> and that looks like what we're seeing here again. Yes. It sounds like it. It sure looks like it. I mean, maybe there's maybe there's more to the story, but it sure doesn't look good. And this is the time when we're supposed to be correcting all that. Exactly. Uh, why why did the issue, Paul? Why did the issue go to a judge in the first place? Should should it have been reconsidered by the legislature or by some other body? Why why would there be? surprise that there isn't uh, you know uh, total sunshine uh, in dealing with this matter I mean I, I don't I, I said from the beginning I think you guys heard me say this numerous times uh, the cost of this debacle far exceeds what's on the table right far exceeds far and I, I mean, you know, they're, they're, uh, and the culpability uh, certainly aren't just the folks whose names have been called up to this point. So, uh, you know, the, the, the notion that somehow this lawsuit is going to settle this is, is uh, poppycock. Yeah, I think, I, I think you're right, Wood. I, you know, it's... Um it, yeah, the issue is going to be there for a long time. Yeah, and and I th I think this discussion is telling you one one universal truth that there is only so much money in the pot and only so much money that will be issued out. There are going to be some winners and losers. <laughs> my my mother had a plaque in her office for years that said, "If you think the problem's bad now, wait till we've solved it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and when I, I see know, I think the real like issue, this, right? I, I can't I, help in, thinking in about many ways, that. I was going to say, in many ways, the, the real issue may be just the lack of trust in the whole system that's been destroyed. I mean, and the water thing is the key issue, the key part of it, but it's not the only part of it. There's been, there's been a lack of trust in so many parts of quote the system uh, over the years, and uh, this is just one more one more part of the whole process. Yeah. But when you start changing court filings to make them yeah. look better, yeah. that you know that that just compounds the problem. And and would I think a lot of people share your feeling that that six hundred forty-one million dollars, no pun intended, is a drop in the bucket when it comes to to a settlement for what happened to people because of the Flint water crisis. Um, but e even if you accept it as a beginning, you don't start out during the beginning hiding more stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's yeah. a horrible step to, to get off on. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where you get back to that they. So take they and take lawyers. Take they and lawyers and, and join those two together. But lawyers, <laughs> yeah. the, the presence of lawyers in this matter is to protect the interests of they. And I'm not so sure that they always are the citizens of Flint. But, but, but I, I can, I, one day I can tell you, 
is that the reason that there are so many lawyers, and they're not necessarily there to protect the interests of the masses, and that is the, the citizens. That would be great. That would be absolutely fantastic. I don't believe that they uh, are some other interests as well. Well, I, I, I don't know that we're going to figure out who they are, but um, I, I'm, I'm going to try and write a punchline to, uh, to this joke. How many lawyers does it take to change a water pipe? <laughs> uh, anyway, let's, let's, uh, let's move on. The County Board of Commissioners ran the idea of recognizing causes it supports up the flagpole, but soon decided that it doesn't want the divisiveness that came with flying issue-oriented flags on property it owns. Commissioners voted unanimously on Wednesday, May 26th, for a resolution to refrain from flying any flag other than those representing the county, the state of Michigan, and the United States, effective immediately. The action came after commissioners were divided in recent weeks on whether to fly flags representing LGBTQ pride for Pride Month and the thin blue line on property owned by the county. The reason for the vote was a compromise uh, Commissioner Sean Shoemaker and I worked out together, said Commissioner Dominique Clemens, a Democrat from Flint Township. It was not in either one of our interests to continue debating the worthiness of various causes. At the end of the day, is this the right decision? Should government properties be issue neutral? I don't think that we should, I don't think that we should expand. <clears throat> Thank you. I don't think we should expand the number of flags up there, but there's probably one that's missing. The Sister City flag uh, in Japan, I think it is. We have a Sister City someplace in the world. And I think I've seen that before, but I'm not sure I, I've seen it on the uh, Yeah, on the that, would, that, would that be appropriate on, a, on a, a county building as opposed to maybe in front of City Hall or in the lobby of City Hall? Yeah, the county speaks for all the cities in Flint, technically, or all of the county. <laughs> you know, you just said something that would really irritate a lot of people, Paul. You said uh, the county represents a lot of cities in Flint. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I know. Th I know that you misspoke that, but it, it's uh, yeah. But it sounds good. Right. Yeah. Actually, yeah. On, the, on the sister city issue, that the city has. Uh, at least three sister cities, one in Russia, one in Canada, one in Japan, and then maybe one more. Uh, yeah. Just on the flag, the flag uh, flying issue. Yeah. Uh, the, the the one, you know, I, I do agree that in terms of permanent flying of flags, it probably should be limited to what the commissioners have uh, worked out. But there are the occasions, uh, like for instance, if you had, a delegation from one of our sister cities, and I would just use this as an example, the the uh, Canusa Games. Um, and mm. when they would come to Flint for the competition, I think it's appropriate to fly the flag uh, during a ceremonial event. Or similarly would be if uh, a delegation came from Japan or a delegation from Russia. On the occasion of a ceremonial event, I think it's appropriate to fly the flag. Yeah, I go along yeah. with that. 
Yes, I mean, I, I can see though that from the county board's point of view, that if, if they started looking at causes, they could be wrapped up endlessly, and all every every group is going to come in front of them with their favorite favorite flag and favorite cause, sure, sure. and sure. they've got more to do than do worry worry about which flag is going to fly this week. And every right. cultural group will demand their place. You can believe that, and we you'll end up. We probably I don't know how many cultures we have about twelve maybe in the city, but. <clears throat> you'll end up with dozens and dozens endlessly. So uh, I think that we should be very cautious about what we put up there. You open up a keg of worms that can't be solved. Well, from a government standpoint, I don't think Flint and Genesee County have completely resolved uh, issues of um, holiday images around Christmas or Hanukkah or uh, um or others, Ramadan or, or, or whatever. And I'm curious to see what happens to Santa and his sleigh now that it's been returned to the city. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That Was was that on the city hall, city hall lawn? Or city it hall used to be on the building. building. I think it used to be yeah, on top of yeah. the building. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but like I say, I, I can see the. Uh, if they'd gone the other way, I can see every every club and every group of any any interest showing up at the county board with, you know, their flag and in, in, in their favorite cause, and they yeah. can, if nothing else, chew up a lot of time. Yeah, that's true. Well, there, there, you ahead. can imagine that the next the next issue would be um, how tall should the um, uh, flagpole be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> My flagpole is taller than your flagpole. <laughs> well, didn't uh didn't former president Donald Trump have that problem down in Florida? He 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 had a a, a flag that that had a pole and, and it it towered everything in town. And became like a visual focal point, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, I think we yeah. had a case like that in um, in Michigan, down in the Detroit area somewhere. There was a business that that flew a flag that that faced the freeway that that was considered too big for. Zone oh yeah, or something. yeah, I, I remember I that? that. That's true. And that was in in both of oh. those cases, it was a U.S. flag. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, you start trying to celebrate Pride Month at, at the county, but but yet the White House routinely does things supporting these various issues uh, symbolically. Yeah. Without mm-hmm. without true. the same kind of uh, blowback, or at least that I, I haven't heard of any. Oh well, let's let's uh, let's move on to Lansing. Yep. House Republicans passed legislation Wednesday that would establish new penalties for voter fraud related to absentee ballot applications. The two House bills passed easily. The first bill, which would change Michigan's election law, passed 66 to 43, with nine Democrats joining Republican lawmakers in support of the bill. Uh, I'm not going to list them all. The second bill, which would amend Michigan's criminal code, passed 65 to 44, with eight Democrats joining their GOP colleagues. Um, just uh, as as a, a little touch of uh, locality here, 
Uh, Tim Sneller was uh, one of the Democrats, and Sri Tanadar um, were Democrats that, that supported these. Um, in any event, the bills would classify impersonating a voter, attempting to obtain multiple absentee ballots, or completing an absentee ballot application with false information or a forged signature as felonies punishable by up to five years imprisonment. These provisions in some ways mirror laws already on the books. So are these laws just for show? It's um, it's a um, solution searching for. Uh, I, I mean, you know, this this is a this is a national effort. I've said it before, and I know there's at least one person on this panel that's going to take uh, issue with this. But I've, I've said it before. Um, this is, you know, Republicans, uh, and 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 it would be it would be something if this was just Michigan, but this is. 40, something like 44 states have passed voter suppression efforts since Trump, or attempting to pass, uh, right. I should say introduce, uh, voter suppression efforts since Trump lost. And you know what it is. <laughs> I mean, you know. So uh, I, I, if, if, if this was really about cleaning up a corrupt uh, voter system, and so forth, I'd say, hey, have at it. Let's go. Uh, but I know what it is. I absolutely know what it is. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's been my take, too, I think. I mean, again, there's a few, there's a few tweaks that the, that the registration system could use and all that, but the bottom line is all of these are clearly designed to suppress the vote and to uh, make sure that the that Democrats don't have the same turnout <laughs> after, that they had in 2020. You know, I I don't see I don't see that as um, <clears throat> as an issue that's unreasonable taken by the Democrats here. No, by by the black, by the African American community. I don't see that as unreasonable. But I think the Republicans look at what the Democrats are driving. They're driving this successfully, but it's not the African Americans that's driving that. It's the Democrats. And it's to benefit um, and main, it's to, to maintain the loyalty of African Americans, but not to their betterment. Uh, so uh, that's what Republicans are concerned. They they can't reach, they can't in any way impact black people directly because they have to go through the party system. You know the the interesting thing about some of the stories that that are coming out, and we're going to talk about Texas a little later. Um, but as as Wood points out, there are a lot of states that are enacting this kind of legislation in in various uh, forms. Um, and and Democrats are saying it's voter suppression. Um, Republicans are saying it's uh, protecting against uh, potential yeah, fraud in in yeah. voting, and and yet the parts of the stories that I find the most interesting are the Republicans that are feeling uncomfortable about some of these measures, and believe that it's leadership within their party that is attempting to make it so that only 
people that support what they want them to support can vote. Yeah, you, yeah. that's my that's my yeah. very point. If I could I could say this, um, I'm uncomfortable with the position that the Republicans are taking. And, and, and I don't think you're alone, Henry. And yeah. you know, and I think it's you know, of course, there are racial implications to this, but I, I think it's it's um, just as political as it is uh, yeah. about race. That yeah. it's it's not even just so that only Republicans vote; it's that only certain Republicans are heard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's interesting here, in fact, this is the topic of my, my, my column for next month's East Village magazine, but there's one unintended consequence that's surprising, is that historically, the absentee vote has been more Republican, because it was usually yeah. older voters and all of that. <laughs> so ironically, if this goes into effect in the long run, it may actually have as much effect on Republican voters as it does on Democratic voters. Yeah, I, I, and, and you know, I, I, I think the discussion right now, Republicans ought to listen just a little bit more and seek opportunities where there there's opportunities in everything that's controversial. Yeah, you gotta look for this them. is this is a a, a, a a weird debate because Democrats maintain that their intention is to make it easier to vote for yeah. everyone. But, but, and Republicans but look are at the, saying that they're trying to make it easier to cheat. <laughs> uh, but, but if you look at uh, what Republicans are saying and see if there's any major integrity to what they're saying, they say, okay, they don't want people voting right after church on Sunday. Okay, nobody votes on Sunday, but more than likely that uh, pertains to African Americans. And this is what... They say, well, why should we have it if there's only African Americans benefit from it? It's, it's really the Democratic Party that's benefited from the efforts of the black who congregate like this and and be and exhibit their voting behavior in this way to enable the Democrats to win. But Republicans don't have any measure to that. They can't get people to be politically involved on Sundays are closely associated with the church, and they won't do it. So and the, this is, there's a disadvantage uh, to Republicans. So you have to go after the African-American and inhibit them in any way that you can. But it's not, I don't think it's intended, intended to be mean-spirited, but it's, it's it, there's no other way to deal with it. it it's, it's intended to do what it does, which is to get us focused on a non-issue. We're arguing something that doesn't exist. Hey, look, when I was in the legislature, this, remember now, there is, and, and Paul, you, uh, you can tell me right quick, the group that puts together all of these various policy... Uh, that Alec, the Alec yeah, group. Alec. Uh, Alec. Yep. This, is, this is not just something that someone just pulled out of the air. This is a national strategy. It's to get us to focus on the non-issue. Uh, the, 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 the whole notion that, that the, the voting system in America is corrupt and broken and we have these terrible problems and most Wood, of the time... I've got, Wood, I've got to cut you off there. We've got to take a short break, but we'll pick it up there when we come back. 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now.
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Woodrow Stanley. And, Wood, my apologies. I cut you off uh, when we went to break. Usually I'm cutting off Henry, but... Um, <clears throat> but, Wood, did you want to pick up and finish your uh, your comments? Just real quick. I... My point was that this is all a scam. It's all a political scam. And it, it just, it, it is. It's effective. Now, you know, I'm not going to, uh, because folks buy into it. But Paul made the point. I just read something the other day. Uh, they were highlighting uh, this county. And, you know, Texas has, has one of the most aggressive, regressive, uh, pieces of legislation, you know, this whole border suppression piece. But some of the things that, th- that they are going to knock out have been most beneficial to Republicans. And, and, and they were zeroing in on this one particular county. And so it's just, it, it, it's so interesting how this is, uh, this is done. My, 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 my final point is, wouldn't it be great if rather than political scams that we would talk about the platform? You know, the Republican platform and the Democratic mm-hmm. platform. And, 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 and that way, Republicans can say, this is what we offer to, uh, if we were talking about African Americans or, uh, or, about, uh, or Asians, this is what we offer to the minority communities uh, and, 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 and argue about that as opposed to what we're going to do is we're going to put as many roadblocks in the, in the path to uh, being able to cast a vote in America, by the way, and and we've made that uh, that observation before, Wood, that that some of this uh, uh, voter related uh, legislation are solutions looking for a problem, and we'll get back and talk some more about this whole issue when we talk about Texas during the next uh, during the next hour. But uh, in the meantime. Uh, everyone wants to get in and out of their local Secretary of State branch faster, but Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson told lawmakers Thursday her office's online appointment system is the right way to ensure that happens both now and in the future. But she acknowledged her office needs to make short-term improvements to a system implemented during the COVID-19 pandemic that has garnered recent pushback. Part of the goal is to reduce the number of people who need to make branch office visits. That's the direction we're moving in so that those office visits become efficient and convenient, Benson, a Democrat, said during a House Oversight Committee hearing. Benson pledged to review efficiencies in the next two weeks and mentioned a series of possible changes offering more appointment times, offering specific appointments for certain services, temporarily opening offices on weekends or weeknights and weekends, creating pop-up offices at places such as senior centers and more. She's also planning to visit every branch office in the state before fall. Are the changes that Secretary Benson is proposing welcome? Well, I, I, assuming they, they speed things up, and certainly will, will be, yeah. I mean, well, people want access. An issue for a while. 
Uh, that office has to be accessible to the people. It just, it's just not it's not there to benefit politicians and their uh, points of view, but it's there for the people, and people should be comfortable in using those offices for their own benefit or pursuits. You know, I've seen uh, State Senator Ken Horn and some others, and I don't mean to pick on Ken, um, but he comes to mind because I just recently saw something he posted or reposted on Facebook that estimates under Secretary uh, Benson's uh, appointment systems, it could take three months to get an appointment. I, I saw some of those those, those dates in, in some some I think it was an M Live story. I was quite surprised at that. I I, I just got my license plate request for, to renewal, and I, I, I can do it all online, as far as I know. Well, I I, I, I just caution people to. I'm always a little bit suspicious when the first time I hear something, it's on social media. Yeah, yeah. Um. I wonder if but there was a story. I think I think it was a Flint Journal story that talked about that they they mentioned the dates for the appointments that were often a couple of months down the road. So I was quite surprised to see that uh, if that's if that's accurate. And I'm starting to see stories of of cars going without license plate tabs because yes. of this. I've seen that as well. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Now you know I've taken notice of this, but. Isn't there um, a policy, uh, a grace policy? Because I, I just uh, took notice of, of this probably within the last six months or so. The fact that you have a ton of cars on the road without uh, either tags or tabs. A lot of them. And and some people are are using and and probably getting away with in some cases saying, well, because of COVID, I wasn't able to get into right, the so right. the the Secretary of State's office, mm -hmm. and but that's that's that excuse or that explanation is going to fade away very soon. And that is the only way and the best way I know of for the erosion of respect for the law. You put something out there that's kind of nebulous. And people will take advantage of it. And there are people out there who have done nothing. There are some people who are legitimate. They don't have license. But there are others that just don't respect the law long enough, uh, well enough to get the plate. And they are not going to do it. Yeah, I have to admit and that. they're going to dare the police to stop them. I, God. I, I, agree. I, had I, an, I, I, I agree. I had an expired plate once. And, and it, it had been expired way too long. It, this wasn't like the next month or even the month after that. It it had been expired for a little while, and I got six pulled. Six years, six years. Now, Tom, that's a little long. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, but I, but but the flip the, the the end of the story is I get pulled over in Waterford by an Oakland County deputy, and he said. Uh, <laughs> he said, "Do you know that your plate plates expired?" And I <laughs> That's said, six years. <laughs> and I had it. It wasn't six years, but it might have been six months. <laughs> and I, I said, "You know, I had forgotten about that. I live in Flint." And the deputy laughed out loud <laughs> because he realized 
you know, the likelihood of getting pulled over for an expired plate in Flint at that time was, you know, pretty, pretty small. And, uh, you know, and, and so I, I, I share that story to say, you know, that, that some of the people that take advantage of something being nebulous isn't reserved for hardened criminals. Tom, I would I would only offer one caveat to your story. Uh, there are a lot of folks in Flint who would sort of take slight issue with that uh, observation that the uh, chances of getting pulled pulled over for. Um, you know, missing something, whatever, whatever, or, or expired uh, license is, is um, not not uh, very good. Because there are a lot of folks who tell you that they get pulled over quite frequently for just what you had gone six months mm. <laughs> without getting pulled over. And, 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 and Tom, by the way, it's a fact. I, mean, I have not experienced no, it myself. I, 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 I know are. what you're talking about, and I know, okay. I, I know what right. you they mean when it, you say that. They call it driving, driving while, you know. Black. Black. And I will own up to, to my privilege where that kind of <laughs> scrutiny <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> right. is concerned. And, and, <laughs> and, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm with you, Wood. Um, yeah, and and so am I. And you guys expected me to be on the counterpart, but when the truth is told, I will stand up and say yes. But I'm not going to politically answer it either. I'm going to tell you what I think. Right. And right. let you take your position. Good, Henry. Yeah. Thank you. But hey, Tom, take care of those plates, man. <laughs> oh, I do, I, do, I do now all the time because they still had the uh, Driver Responsibility Act in place then, and it cost me a lot of money, a lot well, more than it would have cost me. Just, those days. Yeah, that's right. It cost me a lot more than it would have to just keep the tab up to date. Right. Uh, right. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I don't have time to to get into this one. But um, I, I haven't tested yet. I, I haven't had opportunity to test yet the, um, the uh, length of time it takes to get an appointment with the Secretary of State's office. And I, I, not because I've let my plates go, but because it's been a while since I, uh, uh, let's see, what was it, last November and uh, I, I got in and out and, you know, got my plate changed. I, in fact, I may have done it by mail, come to think of it. Um, I was going to say, the only thing you have to go in for is what? A new, then you have to renew your license uh, periodically or new plates, new, actually new plates rather than just the tabs. Isn't that correct? Yeah, and uh, I didn't have any of that yeah. come up during the, during the pandemic at all. So, you know, I'll, I'll see what happens uh, come November when it's uh, time to renew the plate again and uh, and we'll see what happens but in the meantime we have to uh, break here for our top of the hour ID and uh, um, for those of you that are listening to us uh, on our voices radio WFOV they are uh, 92.1 LPFM Flint 
And we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics and our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Woodrow Stanley right after this, uh, this very short break. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 